bad lover is like a bad musician. Judicious listening is like being so present that the mind stops and then that is the state in which one can start to receive as opposed to be trapped in an endless loop of noise. This receiving is everything. This is the receiving where inspirations come from and books and great music and, and wisdom and even the map for our own lives. I'm Leanne. Welcome to Strippers and Sages. Camila Celine is a phenomenal musician and composer from Colombia. She began playing the guitar at age nine and has been studying the Indian Sarod for years with gurus in Kolkata and the United States. In 2009, she was nominated for a Grammy for Best World Music Album in collaboration with the Hindustani slide guitar maestro Devashis Bhattacharya. Camila performs around the world and has composed music for film, theater, and commercials. I met Camila when I was helping to produce an event with Brooklyn Raga Massive and the ethnomusicologist Alexandre Tanus. And let me tell you, when she plays Sorod, I feel every part of my body come alive. And I mean every part. I'm definitely recruiting her to score my first erotic film. In this conversation, we talk about the relationship between music and sensuality, among many other intimate topics. And this episode features some of her original music, which is a real treat. I wanted to start by asking you um, how you came to be a Soroth player. What was your musical journey? Um, well, I've always been a guitar player. I still am. And when I was growing up in Bogota, Colombia, I started playing um, South American music at uh, nine years old. And then I went to the music uh, academy when I was 15. And uh, some people from my, some musicians from my community, my musical community in Colombia, who were very good, went to India. One brought back a guitar and the other one tablas. And then they were teaching us a little bit about the, uh, the about Indian music. And one time when I was in the classroom uh, for music and music, I thought and promised to myself, I want to go as deep as I possibly can in music in my life. This is what I want to do. And when I got a glimpse of Indian music, I knew that that was the one of the deepest forms of sound in the world. So immediately it was uh, it was just certain that that's what, what I had to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Mm. And at what point did you begin studying Saroth? Saroth, I started uh, it's it, uh, 10 years ago. 11 years is going to be in February. So yeah, yeah. And But I, I went to India for the first time 14 years ago. Mm. And I began to study with the guitar. And when did you move to New York City? 1999, end of 1999, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What brought you? It brought me the turn of the millennium. I wanted to be in the biggest party of the world, mm-hmm. and I figured it was New York City. And once I arrived, it, it was home from the very beginning, and it treated me very well. And I met wonderful people and started making money, like, easily. <laughs> Performing? Uh, no, uh, no, as a waitress, but mm-hmm. it was more money than I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I did uh, meet amazing musicians and started performing soon after. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York was, has always been very, very good to me. How did you celebrate the turn of the century when you first got here? You know, it's a funny thing because in Colombia, we 
we really know how to party in Colombia. We're really good at partying and we can party for, uh, for, for a long time. <laughs> and when I came to New York, it was, it was 12 of us Colombians going around trying to find the best party. And we we're like, what's going on? Why can't we find the best party? And then we ended up crashing this party in Soho and everybody looked really bored. And when we got there, we made this huge party and didn't leave for like th three days. <laughs> As Colombians and and we were like, man, if we stayed in Colombia, we probably would have had like the best party. But we made it in New York. We did it. <laughs> oh, wow. Um. So you went to India then a few years later. I then I went to India. I believe it was in two thousand and five. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, for the first time. And what was that trip like for you? Oh, it was incredible. It was uh, it was a life savior because I fell stuck with my music for a while. And uh, I, I, I didn't know which direction to take. And I just knew that I needed guidance uh, to, to go deeper into music. And so... Um, so then when I went and I was introduced to these, my first guru, who's a renowned guitar player, mm -hmm. world-renowned guitar player, it was like... It was... It was the elixir that I needed for my life. And the guidance was just like incredible and opened up a whole world for me musically and, and in my life as well. Mm. What what distinguishes a guru from just your average music teacher or guitar oh, teacher? So much. Well, a guru, first of all, Indian music, the how complex it is and how deep it is, it's it it requires that you have a very a close relationship with the person who is who is trusting you to give what they have been researching their whole lives and that the teachers and their gurus trusted them with. It's like they have to trust that you are the person who is going to really be serious about it and who is worthy of the teachings that they have been fought for in their lives, you know, especially before when they didn't have internet, they really, really went through a lot to get these teachings. These are not teachings that you can get from a book. You have to be with your guru, um, learning all these subtleties of the music. And I have found that you do learn a lot in class, sitting them with them, but I learn a lot of the sentiment of the music when I'm hanging out with my gurus in a close intimate setting late at night uh, they're well fed they have mood they're animated you're making them feel good you're having a good hang and that's when they drop the most important um uh, wisdom of the music so if you don't have a relationship with your guru like that, like that that is so close where you're uh, serving them as best as you can and giving them the best mood that you can the teachings are not going to be unlocked mm -hmm. that's the difference and how do you find a guru? Do they need to adopt you? Do you ask them? What is that process of finding the right fit? I mean, I don't know for other people. I know for myself, I have been introduced uh, with people. Well, my um, my um, life partner. Uh, it's a. Uh, it was very. He was very inside the music and had some of the best uh, legendary gurus mm -hmm. in India. So I was introduced in the scene by like like from inside the scene with some of the greatest personalities in India mm -hmm. and so my dedication um I think it's what unlocked it and also uh 
these guys also teachings of how to treat the culture so that you can actually give them enough mood so that they're going to take you seriously, mm -hmm. you know? So I was fortunate to, to I, I'm fortunate to be under the wing of some of the great maestros of Indian music and they have recommended me to other maestros, you know, and, and give them, you know, taking them under their wings. Mm -hmm. So I've been very fortunate, mm -hmm. actually. Beautiful. Can you tell us then, just give us a little bit of a crash course in raga music and what we what we can know and appreciate about it as an art and as a complex spiritual system as well? Well, that's a big uh, question. So right we'll be I'll here try. for four more hours. And if you... <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try to... Uh, I'll try to be brief. Or um, you can start with even just what were some of the first aspects that you learned as sure. you were transitioning from otherwise Western or Colombian music? Yeah, I can, I can tell you some of the basic things. So like um, in Indian music, uh, there is the raga system. The raga system is, raga is, is almost sort of like a scale, what would be a scale for Western music, but it's very different because a scale is just notes, a group of notes going up and down. Uh, in Indian music, raga, what a raga is, is it is a group of notes, but it's a group of notes that have different relationships between the notes that are very specific, that make a certain raga have a certain flavor and fragrance and uh, mood and sentiment in different aspects. It's almost like a character of a, of a movie or a character generally that, that has strong traits but there's also something that you can continue to discover throughout your life as you become closer to that group of notes so it's not just a scale like you can have uh, 20 ragas with the same notes that sound very different to one another because of which notes you are using in which order sometimes some ragas you go up in one way come back down in another way mm -hmm. You know, the relationship between the notes, which notes, how to approach a certain note, from which place to approach it, it with which nuances to approach it. I mean, what you can do, each each raga has its own traits and its own sentiments, and there's a lot to each raga. Some ragas are more complex and more heavy than others. Some are just lighter and easier to to play. And But each raga uh, really requires a, a lot of, learning from your gurus to see what is what are the main characters or ragas like i said you can c continue to discover a raga for the rest of your life mm -hmm. you know and so that's one aspect and there's like you know at least a thousand ragas mm -hmm. you know we're in western music i think that we might use like 10 different scales you know uh and also is the tala system which is the the, the rhythmic aspect of it so in indian music you don't have harmony you don't have chords Per se, you have mostly rhythm and melody, and and raga is the melody, and tala is the the rhythmic cycles, and then again the most popular one is sixteen beats, which are all the different speeds. But then you have ten beats, seven beats, um, are most popular, twelve uh, beats, and then there's many more in between. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's, it's it's a lot of materials. There's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's never ending. You can never. Them more than an ocean, you know, mm -hmm. and it's always improvised when you play. North Indian classical music is mostly improvised, and you play within a certain, like the raga, and then within a certain um, framework, 
mm-hmm. of uh, its beats and tempos and you utilize a composition but then in between playing the composition you're improvising the whole time yes mm-hmm. yes 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading about um, some of this in this book, The Mysticism of Sound and Music, the Sufi teachings of Hazrat Inayat Khan, who was talking about, um, you know, that the great raga masters would not know what they were going to play until they were in that moment. And that, as you're saying, this element of mood and what that brings out. And then oh, yeah. also speaking about seasons and time of day and how every raga is is tuned to the planets and has a different moment for it to be played for sure for sure and my teachers all my teachers all my gurus are definitely very strong about that and not everybody is but my teachers are like they won't teach me a raga a night raga in the morning they're like nope (laughs) (laughs) you know nope and uh so i feel like from 14 years of going to india and listening deeply to night whole hours of 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 music like night times all night it's like when the morning ragas are playing that's what i feel is the morning raga like if you play that in the middle of the day it feels so off i can't even stand it mm-hmm. you know so so it does have a certain sentiment and a certain quality and a and a collection of uh energies and vibrations that that have a certain ethos you know a sentiment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's beautiful Mm. And how did your study of of this music, I was going to say enhance, but I don't even know what your spiritual life was before and before you started playing and during and now. Can you just speak about sort of how this music has informed your spirituality? Well, it's kind of crazy because when I arrived in India, mm-hmm. a year later, I, I discovered what would be the strongest spiritual practice and path that I have. And whereas it doesn't have anything to do with India and it did, did not come from India, mm-hmm. it started in India. And so then what happens is like, even learning Sarod was part of that, uh, that, that spiritual journey when I um, stopped being afraid and I like jumped into the unknown with absolute trust. And so the music was there to, to get me. What is the spiritual tradition that you fell into? Um, or spiritual basically, basically making your own mind a peaceful place, you know, and following. I see the thoughts uh, as a net and there's so many different possibilities. Some are low vibrating, some are hard vibrating. So the whole idea is to follow a thread that uh, gives a nice emotional environment within myself and to follow that. And in following that, I have, it's it's what kind of led me to playing Sarod, actually, and Indian music and making a life in it and 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 enjoying the music and understanding the music and allow and and seeing how I can utilize the music to work on my own mental harmony and how while working in it through the music there are pathways that open up and then the question becomes am i generating my own thoughts or am i receiving some thoughts and this is very important because our generating our own thoughts can be it can be a nightmare because it becomes these loops of junk of stories and conditionings and fears and just repetitive bunch of bs that doesn't take us anywhere and and the other one is to put 
the mind at ease enough so that something else can be received. Mm -hmm. And that's why music is so important because one thing is to assert yourself and play your notes, your notes, they can be in tune, they can be in rhythm, but they're meaningless unless one is actually receiving the, the notes that should be played and one is just a, a vessel to, to channel the something that is coming through from something higher. Mm. Yes. Yeah, you and I met through attending sound meditations with Alexandre Tanous. Exactly. And who speaks about judicious listening, right? Yeah. So what does it mean to be a judicious a judicious listener of this music? I think that this what you're talking about is one of those endless uh topics, but I think that it I think is an endless eternal discovery of what mm -hmm. that means, but I think that one can at least start with uh paying attention you know, to the music without a judgment in the mind, uh, be, uh, without allowing the mind to to put labels into things and to to judge it. Like, I like this. I don't like this. Uh, this is like this. What is this? Or to drift away. So, so judicious listening is like being so present that the mind stops. And then that is the state in which one can start to receive as opposed to be trapped in an endless loop of noise. Mm -hmm. And in this receiving, this receiving is everything. This is the receiving that uh, where inspirations come from and books and great music and, and wisdom and even the own, the map for our own lives and, and dreams and, and purposes. It can be utilized for the puzzle of our life as guidance mm -hmm. for what is it that we're all about. Mm. Is uh, It's quite a powerful practice. Absolutely. What a way to move through the world if that's your if that's your mantra, your <laughs> aim, just to be a judicious listener and to be yeah. receptive. Im imagine that. It's yeah. uh, it seems simple, but it unlocks so much. Mm -hmm. it, it, this is an unexpected segue. You know, we're here to talk about music, sound, mysticism, and sexuality. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think we'll get into sound as vibration. And I think vibration was the thread that I thought we would maybe go down. But as you're speaking, I'm thinking about receptivity and um, quieting the mind and absolute presence and judicious listening in the body. And so I wonder if you can kind of just riff a little about that idea and how it relates to our sexual beings. Well, you know, I'm not like a tantra uh, expert or a sexual educator expert at mm -hmm. all, <laughs> beyond my own. Get off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> beyond my own polyamorous uh, bisexual uh, experiences of my life. <laughs> but in a way, this uh, listening, playing music, listening in that way, and engaging in sexual um, sacred union or a sexuality, uh, whatever, even if it's a one-night stand, it doesn't matter. It The same principles are uh, apply for everything. One thing, you know, like a bad lover is like a bad musician. <laughs> a bad lover is somebody who's thinking, oh, I should do this, and that's it, and it's completely off whack with the flow mm -hmm. of the other person and of your own self. You know, I think that we all have gone through that, which is like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you're doing, like, or... Like, why are you, you know, or you yourself thinking about something and then getting out of whack. Mm -hmm. Same with music. If I think like, oh, I'm going to play this note. It's like, it, you, it can get you out of whack from the flow of what presence is actually 
going to give? What is the receiving? Then again, it's like, it's not my own awesomeness. It never is. Mm -hmm. It's actually uh, being empty enough so that the awesomeness of something greater than us can come through. Mm -hmm. And I think in sex, in, 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 in a good sexual experience is where the mind is it takes a second plane and there's so much presence that you know what the other body wants in your body and, and, and the other person is going in consonance. Mm -hmm. And then the magic of the, the, the spiritual uh, communion can be um, experienced. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so you were raised in Bogota. Uh, how was sex talked about in your household when you were growing up? Yeah, so from what my sister used to, to, to tell me, she was always embarrassed because when I was very young, maybe three, I was talking about sex and asking my mom all kinds of questions about sex, which she was answering. I don't remember, but I remember my sister being very embarrassed. And I remember <laughs> I was very active since I was a little child. Mm -hmm. I was doing all kinds of things when I was like five and six and seven and eight and hooking up with all my guy friends and girlfriends at that and, age yeah what did that mean at that age i was just horny <laughs> i was damn horny <laughs> tell me what does an eight-year-old hookup look like <laughs> for camila and bogota <laughs> you know you kiss and and then you just rob each other and then you touch each other and you don't know what you're doing but it feels good but if it also i remember people feeling um kind of bad about it and i mean i never had any shame about it around it just only when people brought shame into it, you mm -hmm. know? And like, I remember the, uh, the, the school sent me to the psychologist and the psychologist was asking me questions. I was very embarrassed and ashamed. And she said, would, would, would you like if we started a sexual education class for the school? I was like, yeah. So they started the sexual education because of my mischievous, my mischievous <laughs> behavior. <laughs> so you were, you were caught rubbing, rubbing it out with some friends and, and then they like, took you to counseling. There and... was all kinds of complaints from parents wow. and things around my sexual activity. <laughs> See, I knew you'd be good for this show. <laughs> I had a hunch. <laughs> Takes an erotic being to know one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I too. <laughs> saw psychologists for mischievous behavior which is kind of crazy you <laughs> of know course. because it's like why are you shaming I, I mean it's a weird thing i guess it's a powerful thing and that's why sex is like there's got so much around because it's a powerful thing you know mm. that triggers a lot of what we were talking before a lot of a trauma and abandonment issues and stuff so mm -hmm. i think there's a, a lot of tension around it because of how complex it is um so what did the education that got instituted what did that consist of you know just like normal as um, sexual education that is around these days you know where everything comes from wow sex is done with the babies are do 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 all this stuff mm -hmm. you know just like very basic stuff mm -hmm. what do you think sexual education should consist of in our utopian vibrational I mean, society i think it should be more spiritual and more emotional and more about presence and more about uh, feeling comfortable. Because I know that, at least in my experience as a woman growing up, mm -hmm. uh, I know that I fucked a lot of guys that did I didn't want to fuck, mm -hmm. you know? But you're just kind of there. You don't want to make him feel bad. You're just like, well, I guess like, all right, let's just do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that one should be definitely taught to be like, it has to be a hell yes. And to not feel bad if it's not a hell yes. To be like, nope, 
-hmm. Nothing is going to happen. That's one. Another thing is also to to know how to manage your emotions when when there's uh, triggers of abandonment, you know, or rejection, which happens to everybody, you know. It just happens to everybody. We, we all go through that. How to manage that? What does it mean? What does it mean to so, your self-worth? How to not make it, how to not make it about your self-worth mm-hmm. and to make it about uh, self-discovery, you know? This is, this is crucial. I think that if we learn these things, there would be less um, uh, insecurity in the world mm. uh, for us. And also about presence, how to be so present that the experience is a really, truly satisfying experience for both people. Mm, beautiful. Um, so talk us through your sort of sexual development from being eight, going to the school psychologist to being a teenager. Like when did, when did you lose your virginity? When did you stop fucking guys when you didn't want to? What, what was your sort of path? Uh, so since I was a little girl, I remember like being about six years old and feeling like a little gentleman. I was uh, definitely a boy when I was little. Mm. And, uh, I, and I was just, I just was kind of chill, chill, chivalrous. What is it? What is it? Chivalrous. Thank you. To my little girlfriends. And I had crushes on them. I didn't know what it meant, but I, and now I know that it was just, uh, all these lesbian emotions, you know? Uh, but then when I turned nine, I remember thinking it, it was hard to be a boy when I was a girl and it, it was kind of shameful when people were like, what's your name? Oh, you're a girl. You know, it was weird. And I remember feeling like, okay, when I grow titties, I'm going to have to, something like something's going to happen, you know, something's going to happen. And then I remember one day I wore a little skirt and then I kind of liked being a girl. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is a lot easier. And so I switched from being a boy to being a girl at like nine years old. And then I started to have a crash on men. And then I kind of completely forgot about women. I never even knew that I had a thing for women. Up until I was, uh, I met this girl and she was from Miami at 15 and she was showing me pictures of her boyfriend and then her girlfriend. And I was like, oh, you can do that? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I want to do that, you know? So I had a boyfriend at the time and had hooked up with a bunch of boys at 15. And, but then I got obsessed with being with a woman and then I had my first sexual experience with a woman in a threesome with a woman who was 28 and the guy was 30 and I was 17. Wow. But I lost my virginity at 13. Oh, wow. To a friend. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I was uh, I was raped uh, by somebody really close. I After that? Yeah, after that. Uh, and then, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I was in a very heavy, I was addicted, I was a drug addict. At 13. So you were what? A drug addict. So my sexual experiences were kind of like traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, I ended up in rehab at 14 and uh, was clean for basically, I was recovered from then and I've always been recovered. But then my, those were my early sexual experiences there. They were traumatizing. But then later I have all the sex that I had, like it was, I didn't like any of it, but I was having sex with boys and a few women, women just was just this one, but it was not satisfying. I just thought like, that's what you do. You have sex, but I actually didn't enjoy sex up until my first girlfriend uh, that I had when I was 19. Mm -hmm. 
and she was like my real girl. She was the first one who gave me an orgasm. Mm -hmm. That's when my sexuality really woke up. And and it woke up to men too. Mm -hmm. And I, I cheated on her a bunch with men. You know, like after, also after a year being with her, I started to really crave men, which is when I met my husband, who the one who would become my husband mm-hmm. later. And so we had a lot of threesomes, her and I, you know, but, but, but I thought I was a lesbian for a, for a while. I thought I was a lesbian with bisexual tendencies mm-hmm. up until my husband took my heart, <laughs> snatched mm-hmm. me, and we fell in love. What was it about her and your relationship with her at 19 that allowed you to have your first orgasm? Uh, well, we were into each other, mm-hmm. you know, we, uh, I was really into her. She was really into me and she was determined <laughs> to give me an orgasm and she, and our bodies were good together. Um, she smelled good. I smelled good to her and, and she just, uh, she was hot and I was hot to <laughs> that her. Helps. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> and then she just did it. It took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. And then it was, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. I, we had a lot of sex. So given the sort of trauma that your early sexual experiences induced, were was there intentional healing that you pursued or did it was it healing that came through having now more amorous and effective affairs or what you know, how did you how did you heal from those well, early days? I know my relationship with Dick was very interesting because a lot of the times he would hurt me. Uh-huh. And I, that's why I thought I was a lesbian in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I met my husband at the time, uh, he uh, he just felt good. You know, he felt really good. It was very safe and he felt really good. But sometimes he didn't feel good. So I was always like, am I kind of like sort of a lesbian with, you know, these tendencies? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that for a long time. But the more I experienced things with him... But then I would sleep, then later I started to sleep with other men and it was weird. Sometimes like certain men would hurt me, mm-hmm. you know, and I just thought that that was my, only me. But now that I've experienced a lot of relationships with women and men, I just realized that, certain, that just certain men are not for me. <laughs> right. And that it wasn't like my vagina was a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that that is about fit or about a sort of more metaphysical or energetic um, alchemy on your own body in terms of your state of receptivity? I guess both. Yeah. But I think it has to do more with um, the metaphysical match, you know, because I've been with guys who have exactly the same penis as another guy but one hurts and the other one does you know how so do you know like, do you have a mold that you're <laughs> i don't know just, this is exactly the same i mean i you know i i i look at it mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. i compare <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but it's been a quite a discovery like uh, even just i always wanted when i was with uh uh my husband at the time i always wanted a wife and i thought that that would complete me and after going off and having a full relationship with a woman once again, I just kind of came to realize that I feel better in a relationship with a man mm-hmm. long term than with a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, even even sexually, like after a year with a woman or so, I, I really start to, to miss the experience with a man. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier before we started recording about this idea of sacred union 
and union through sound, union through breath, union through sex. Can you speak about um, how these different avenues can bring us back to source and how you think about um, that that search that we are all on? Yeah, of course. So in terms of, um, you know, we were talking about this, uh, us uh, looking for this completion and this satisfaction and how at first we, we, we look through our toys, you know, and our parents and then later purpose, friendships, uh, romance, um, career, uh, all this stuff, money even. Uh, but then every time we take any of those um, pathways, we always come to the realization that this complete satisfaction isn't in, in any of it, that there's something greater. So then we end up going through the spiritual journey. But my understanding of it is that there's no one moment of a perfect uh, communion uh, where it's done and then we have gotten a, a diploma and then we're like perfectly in satisfaction. I think that what it is 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 a discovery. It's an eternal discovery of that communion, that divine communion, because that divine communion, it's the discovering of who we are as consciousness. And that consciousness is discovering itself with the experience of life. So it's not like, oh, I found God and now we're cool. <laughs> it's like, it's it's an endless unfolding of uh, a playful discovery of who we truly are. And in that is like, it's an infinite uh, possibilities. Now, at the same time, there is like kind of being out of it and kind of being in it, in that um, eternal love making. And I think that in that, that's when we utilize this uh, music or or sex or or spiritual practices to kind of attune ourselves to that eternal love making mm. of discovery. Do you know about any um, experiments with sound, um, with sound and sexuality? You know, I've, I'm just thinking earlier about when you're talking about this idea again of judicious listening and how um, that could be such a powerful practice. I think certainly as a woman, um, I'm relating to a lot of what you're sharing about your upbringing and how there's also just the piece of being so stuck in your head, right? There's all of yeah. these anxieties when you start off exploring sex. And for me, it was all about like, oh, I can't even pay attention to what is happening or feeling because yeah. I'm just like in this inner mind warp of anxieties <laughs> and um, dialogue. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then also thinking about how sound is being used for healing right now. There, you know, it's there's Definitely. this trend of it's sound and meditation and. It's a big one. Um, so I wonder whether, even if you were to just think about it now, how these really powerful tools of sound could be used for sexual healing and awakening and enlivening, what that could look like. Sound and sexuality is like dancing, you know, when you have a partner, um, in the dance floor, it doesn't mean that they're your partner, but sometimes you rendezvous with people who, um, you have something to share with, you know? And it's a beautiful discovery. But I feel like when the mind is not there, you know, and there's uh, this surrender and this trust to the present moment and there's a sound of music and then you're dancing with somebody and you can really let yourself go. It, it, even better if you have a level of attraction that is mutual, then you can really explore that. I think that, uh, that through dance, because music 
moves our bodies and in utilizing the sound and also to to go into this flow with the other person it would be an amazing it is an amazing way to to kind of really surrender you know because we're talking about all this as surrendering to the present moment and the gifts that are uh given in the in the dancing with life itself uh without our mind getting in the way and breaking the flow mm -hmm. yeah So I think that there's a lot to explore there, you know. Speak about um, the the effect of sound on the body and the mind on the nervous system. Well, um, I, without like being an academic expert on it, <laughs> I, I can talk from experience mm -hmm. that, uh, I mean, we all know that music is uplifting, right? And uh, uh, with careful listening, what is it, judicious mm -hmm. listening, uh, I have discovered an, an incredible universe, really, of, of what careful listening can do to me. Mm. There's a lot of things that can happen in careful listening. One is being present. In being present and not having the mind, a par very powerful thing happens. One is to enjoy the music means to uplift the spirit and to uplift the spirit means to uh prepare oneself to receive more of the gifts of of existence you know so so i know that when i am listening to music i i'm being uplifted i'm being touched i'm being uplifted my vibration is is growing is is higher and Some, some of the things that happen to me when that happens is like I start to get guidance about my own life journey mm. and maybe guidance about music, what great music is, uh, what I should try for when I'm, when I'm playing music, uh, what is it that makes awesome music, discovering, you know, the tools that, that, that allows the gateway to have the key to the gateway of, of divine sound. And another one is just simply realizations, epiphanies, and clarity about my life's purpose and my life's uh, path and clarity about what to do next, mm -hmm. even, you know. So, and, and also a third one would be to utilize that time also to, to create, mm. you know, in the life that we want, you know, so that is... Um, Yeah, the, this idea of sound as creation, right, is so yeah. fundamental to totally. all of the mystical traditions you have in the Bible. First there, there is. was sound and then there was light. The Quran echoes that. And of course, Nada Brahma, Nada as being sound and, and creations, yeah, the right. creator. So yeah, how do, can you speak about this idea of sound and creation and creating through sound the life that we want? Yeah, well, so... I was watching a documentary yesterday by a guy called Matias de Stefano. He claims that he remembers all his lifetime, a lot, bunch of lifetimes in this planet, lifetimes before this planet, <laughs> you can believe it or not, and the moment in which consciousness realizes itself and says, I am, mm. and it breathes. And then it starts to breathe. He's saying that this breathing of consciousness is like, it starts to make waves of sound. Mm. And that sound kind of like goes out without and then comes back in to reflect what 
what that is. And that reflection is the creation. And then it, was, it becomes more and more and more and more and more complex. But so, yeah, everything is sound. Like we are sound. And, and I guess that's why music is such a powerful tool to, to get back to the center of who we are and not get lost in the creation, but more be the creator Mm. And in being the creator, finding home, mm. and not being uh, lost in the confusion of the outer edges of creation, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. So sound is because also it gives us presence, and that consciousness it, it leaves in presence. It leaves in the now, in the silence, in the hearing, in the listening. You know, and in that listening, I think is where we can be one with who we really are. Mm. Um, I think it's powerful. I think it's one of the most powerful practices that there are. Mm. And I think uh, we're all lucky to have music. And I'm certainly lucky to be a musician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, so in Hindu philosophy and in this musical tradition, that sound is the tool of creation, as you're saying. And yeah. then in Taoism or post-Taoism, as my teacher Jean Dao would, would discuss, there's this idea of that desire is the tool of destiny. And oh, so I love that. That's I'm, so beautiful. I'm thinking then about how desire, destiny, sound, and creation of sound is a tool through which we create, how all of those interplay in this sort That's of cosmic so realm. It's so beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So like if our thoughts are vibration mm. and they go out into the universe with some sort of sound frequency, I mean, we don't experience it like that because we don't, mm. I don't experience my thoughts as a note, mm -hmm. <laughs> but for what we know and what we have studied, it is so. And also then the word, right? Then the word, because then first is the thought that has vibration that is sound. And then the word is actually sound. And, and in that word, there's a, a creative power. So it is, I mean, in that creation, I see this creation as the discovery of oneself. Mm -hmm. And that is why it's so important because this whole <laughs> jungle mm -hmm. and circus of, of uh, experiences is, is to look back at ourselves and be like, I am mm -hmm. this, you know. Uh, so it, it, it is all sound. I mean, it's fascinating. It's an eternal quest of discovery. Mm. Yeah, through sound and word and, and sounds. And, and I think that we're just at the brink, at, at the beginning of, of something enormous and of how we are going to utilize sound to create more and to heal ourselves and to do all kinds of things. I think that we're, this is just something that we're starting to, to tap into as in, in this society mm -hmm. uh, right now. You know, mm -hmm. More to come. Yeah, I'm thinking also about, so you're speaking about self-discovery and of course there's a tremendous self-gnosis to come from pleasure and from desire and from our own sexual practices, yeah. including our own self-cultivation. And so I'm curious if you could speak about the role of self-pleasure in your own trajectory. Um, and I'll just say another thought that I'm having as I ask this question and as you were speaking is how how integral the voice is for so many of us in unlocking and tapping into our uh, our sexual liveness right there's oh, like yeah. uh, 
a lot of um, healers I've spoken to speak about really using the voice and letting that be the thing that can guide you into higher states of ecstasy or at least liberation or at least mm-hmm. just healing through that. Um, and so I can wonder if you can speak about also the voice and and just it's vibration. It's all vibration, right? Playing ourselves like an instrument, playing our allowing our our voices to vibrate us, bringing that into lovemaking, etc. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So you were talking about first uh, desire as a tool of destiny. Yeah. And so I do think that desire is that impulse to to express that which we are, you know, and and the voice is like well, clarity and articulation of ideas. It's um, the tangible physical manifestation of something that is. And so I think that what desires do is like the impulse of consciousness, primal consciousness, it pulsates. And it pulsates in the form of desires and it just sends us on a quest that it's first to come out of the center because the first thing a desire has is incompletion. It means, it means incompletion. Mm. It means I have desire. It means I don't have this thing that I want. And that immediately takes us off center and it upsets our balance. So it's almost like the pulsating of that desire is being thrown out of from home. I'm no longer complete and I'm on a quest to be complete. And then life starts in there, um, experiencing. And in that journey of following that desire, that is the journey of self-discovery back to home. But then home again is going to pose us out, you know, and this goes on for eternity. I think the voice is utilizing this quest from the beginning, you know, um, as a way to... What is the narrative? Uh, because the, the, the word is all creating. So the narrative that we have regarding those very desires is what is going to take us farther away from home or coming back to home and bringing that desire in, com- in completion to home. It, it's, it's all related, really. And can you speak about um, self-pleasure and how that if oh yeah, so, well, self pleasure, right? So self pleasure is 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 it's the seek the seeking, you know, of this uh, state of uh, bliss. You know, I mean, the, you know, the the masters talk about so much uh, uh, this bliss state being like nothingness and stillness, uh, but but the impulse of desire is 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 the impulse to to search for ourselves and to discover ourselves and to experience who we really are and to get to know who we really are. And I think that to follow our pleasure means to go on this quest. So giving self-pleasure uh, to oneself is a discovery of, of those, of, of who we are, of who we are, you know, which I, I am a true believer that who we are is a, is a profound state of well-being you know, mm-hmm. uh, also. Mm-hmm. And so seeking that communion is, is I think that seeking pleasure is seeking that communion uh, with our home and who we truly are. Mm. Did you start exploring your own body when you were young around that time of six, uh, seven, eight that you were speaking about earlier? Yeah, definitely. Like mm-hmm. when I was little, I was definitely mm-hmm. pleasuring myself. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, I... 
I don't have a, like a super sacred practice with my own self-pleasuring. Mm -hmm. I'm just more like... <laughs> Tuesday, nothing on TV. <laughs> I'm like, I'm horny. Nobody's around. I'm going to mm -hmm. do this. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I just think that all pleasure is, uh, is that quest for communion. Tell us about your events that you put on. Yeah, so I have, there's a few events right now that I have going on. One is a women's um, platform for uh, female-led projects uh, in all kinds of uh, traditions. And then there's like a, so I book like one, one professional act. Uh, men are, can we be involved under the leadership of a woman? Mm -hmm. And then there's an open mic. That is for anybody in the community. There, every all women in the community are encouraged to come and share uh, some of their creative endeavors. Mm -hmm. It's almost kind of like you know you see a lot of places where it's like all these men playing. How many male bands are there in the world? Like mm -hmm. too many. How many women's bands? I mean, few maybe. You know, not mm -hmm. that many. Why are not we women doing as much as men do together? Mm -hmm. And I actually think that we are. Uh, we were competing for a long ass time. You know, we were, we, nobody was making any money. Women were not making any money. You got, you had to compete for the men. You had to compete for your survival. And I think that we're just kind of starting to get, um, rid of that and starting to, to open more spaces for collaboration and sisterhood so that we are not mirrors of each other mm -hmm. and what we need, but we're more like team players and supporters of each other. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's one of the events. And then another one is a is a psychedelic uh, all music all music experience that mm -hmm. it's uh, we've been doing with our team for since 2012, 2011 is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Everybody comes out uh, with 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 tons of tools and healing things, and you know it's like an Alexandra thing, just like with live musicians who are masters mm -hmm. from all, from like all different traditions from around the world. Mm. This is powerful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Speak it's, about the role of psychedelics then in your life. Oh, psychedelics are amazing. I mean, it's a it's a tool to discovering who we really are. It's like a short, uh, what is it? Uh, a short path mm. to back home, really. Mm. And uh, it it just gives clarity, and it it opens up the brain to be the receiver again, of the wisdom of consciousness and, and also just guidance about our own lives because we're all very, <laughs> very absorbed with yeah. our personal stories. <laughs> it means a lot to us. <laughs> right. And how, why do you think that music and psychedelics go so well together? Well, because sound is a powerful tool mm -hmm. for self-discovery and being in a, in, in a place of surrender to receive And so is psychedelics. Psychedelics uh, puts the mind in a different place so that it suspends this constant uh, noise and, and it helps us to receive. Mm -hmm. And then in that receiving is where the epiphanies and the clarity mm -hmm. and ideas, inspirations and direction comes from. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> and what's on the horizon for you in terms of your creative life? Uh, well, I'm working on my album. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm working to record it, so right now I'm booking a, uh, some shows to play with the musicians, you know, get the material tied, and also present it at these events that we do, and also 
uh, we were given a house uh, upstate by this uh, art um, patron, uh, Paul Mansa. He has a beautiful land upstate, and he's giving it to us virtually for no money. And so we go there to to co-create, to collaborate, and to study music, learn from one another, mm-hmm. so that then we can present all these different materials and the events that we have coming up. Beautiful. And yeah. how can people follow you and your work? Huh? How can people follow you and your work? Oh. <laughs> well, I guess Facebook is a good way. Okay. <laughs> or Viewsy. Camila at Viewsy.com. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, and we'll link to your work and your music. And um, so people can also buy your upcoming album. Oh, yes. Or- I have one one song released okay, from the upcoming song. album. So Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us such yeah. intimate and beautiful Um, insights yeah thank you so much for having me it's my pleasure if this episode turned you on please subscribe rate and review us it makes a huge difference then head to strippersandstages.com to learn more about our guests sign up for our mailing list access special resources and become a patreon supporter which would be very sexy of you Special thanks to Ben Euphrat for scoring and mixing these episodes, and to Lilia Tam and John Wolfstone for their production support. Stay sexy, folks. Oh, no, no, no.